The Bible Study Podcast, episode 192. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of Revelation with chapter 10. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen, back from Egypt and a little time off, also back from having a cold and from celebrating Thanksgiving. And the only mention I'll probably make of my Egypt trip on this show is it was very interesting to stand at the temple in Karnak in Luxor and see in great big stone the Egyptian portion or the Egyptian point of view of a story that is told in Second Kings of the king of Egypt coming down and making war against the people of Israel during the reign, I believe, of Rehoboam. So very interesting to see that it written out, and that is the, one of the ways that we can date some of the biblical accounts is from this historic record. We continue on today with Revelation 12. The Woman and the Dragon a great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that it might devour her child at the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled in the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for twelve hundred and sixty days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And this is clearly a section that is talking about the defeat of Satan and of Satan's hosts. And that third of the stars is generally held to be the third of the angels that followed Lucifer, that followed the light bearer or Satan into rebellion. So is this a poetic account? Is it a historic account? Something to come? Something long past? Uh, the original downfall of Satan from heaven well before man is created? A little hard to say there, but clearly there's the sense of rebellion here of angel. There's clearly the sense of war in the heavens, and Michael is leading the angels against Satan, and we get him hurled down. And then we get this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accusers of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. So this is interesting, because it gives a little more view of that previous section, where we couldn't quite anchor it. This is saying that the fall of Satan, this final fall of Satan from the heavens 
is accomplished by the martyrs. That it is accomplished by those who triumph through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and who don't shrink from death. This is saying that those who God has called and chosen and anointed and sanctified, the church, his people, are complicit in, are part of the defeat of Satan. And it also says, you know, woe to those who are still on the earth because he knows this his time is almost wrapped up here. He knows his time is almost done. And so this section seems to anchor this fall of Satan into the future, into this last day of judgment after that seventh trumpet has been sounded. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would take care for a time, times, and half a time out of the servant's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So again, we seem to be looking at a time period where those who are faithful to God are on earth. Now, we may have already dealt with the time period in previous chapters where they were taken up to earth. And this is one of the troubling things we have with the Revelation is it seems at times to go in loops. It seems at times that the earth is destroyed, but we're back on the earth sort of things. And that may be because the message of Revelation that God will triumph is there, but we go through some of these cycles here, so it may not be a linear account. Um, And that's okay, it's just we shouldn't necessarily assume it's a literary account, as so many people have when they're trying to interpret it down to days and names and places. Continuing on with chapter 13, The Beast Out of the Sea. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? This is one of the most interesting sections of Revelation, one of the most confusing and one of the most highly controversial because the beast has been named to be a Roman leader. Rome is founded on seven hills, so perhaps those seven crowns there are seven hills of Rome, or perhaps the beast is the papacy, as some of the early Protestant reformers thought. Well, that's also tying into Rome there, so they use some of that same analogy. Other people have put the beast as a new Islamic caliphate, or some people have thought that the beast is the United States. So there's certainly a lot of controversy about who the beast is. But what do we know? We know that there is some miraculous, apparently, miracle performed for the beast where one of his heads, whatever that means, some somebody is seems to be dead and is now alive, or seems to have suffered a mortal wound but doesn't die. 
and that people fear and give honor and praise to this person who is a representative on earth of Satan, who is empowered by Satan. What the ten horns and the seven heads and the ten crowns are has been a source of great controversy. Seven, again, generally meaning a number of completeness. Ten is a little less clear. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So some people put this as Caesar, as I said, because for them, the whole world, this large empire represented the whole world. And so they saw that the beast here as being Nero, maybe as one of the people who starts the persecution against the Christians, who is given power to wage war against them and to conquer them for a period of time. Others, again, look towards the future for someone who will have the power over the whole earth but will be in league with Satan and great controversy about who that might be. But in any case, for a time, that the power of the beast is limited because the beast is fighting against God and will fail. But for a time, the beast is given power. It is triumphing over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. And I want to call you back again to Revelation being written to a people that is under persecution, that is starting to undergo this persecution from the Roman authority. And so if they're seeing this as a short-term thing, what this is saying is, yes, you're right, Satan is triumphing now. Yes, you're right, the beast, this emperor in Rome is triumphing now. But this is a short time. This is a Pyrrhic victory. This is a victory that has no lasting consequences because we already saw in the last chapter that Satan has been cast out of heaven, that Satan is already defeated, has just not lain down yet. This is a section that says, have hope, God is triumphing still. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all authority of the first beast on its behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in the honor of the beast, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that the image could speak and cause all that refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number 
is 666. It should be pointed out that some have said that if you spell Nero's name in Hebrew numbers, that one of the possible spellings would come up to a cardinal value of 666 if you added it up. It could also be pointed out that the numbers on a roulette wheel add up to 666. So we don't really know exactly, but we know that somehow there's this clue here that the number of the beast, that the number of the beast is 666. And certainly that has taken on great meaning as a number of the devil, whether that's just his house address or the prefix of his phone number or what, we're not sure. And some people have gone into great lengths to say that the mark of the beast is some sort of tattoo that links you into a global commerce system. Maybe. Really don't know. So what is clear from these verses? It's clear that Satan, after having been defeated, after having been cast down from heaven, is waging war against the believers on the earth, and that his eventual demise is sure. But in the meantime, it's not so good to be on the earth, to be a believer, is to suffer persecution from the beast and from this second beast. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have questions, feel free to send an email to host at com or leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain, but we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace, and throughout Scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.